And uh, we're just so honored. So I want you to give Pastor Gerald Brooks a great Rock Church welcome as he comes and minister the word to us. Come on, let's give him a great welcome. Hey, let me uh, just take a minute and um, just maybe give you a little perspective. Uh, most of you wouldn't have a clue who I am other than the fact that uh, your great pastor, Henny, invited me to be here. Uh, but if I could put it into context, if, if you watch or read anyone on Christian TV, and those would be individuals that uh, you really look up to, most of those individuals are my friends. And I have the privilege of speaking in some of the greatest churches in America on a regular basis. But I just want you to know that uh, Henny and Miranda, they really, really are the real thing. Now, I say that to you because uh, I've done this for uh, 42 years now. And I know that you want to get it out of your system. Just turn to the person on your right hand and left and say, he looks amazingly young. (laughs) But after doing it for 42 years, you really do get to see who are the people who are doing it for real and who are the people who are doing it and maybe not in the most genuine way. And Henny and Miranda are just rock stars in my eyes because of not just what they do, but how they do it. So if I could say anything else, uh, I would just say thank you. Thank you for making heaven bigger. Thank you for making the kingdom of God better. Thank you that when we get to heaven, there's going to be people all over heaven that are going to be a direct result of your ministry and this church. And when it's all said and done... There's only one number that ever matters, and that's who we take to heaven. And you've done that, and I'm so proud of you. Uh, That being said, if I could give you a little background on me, uh, my name is Gerald Brooks, and I have the privilege to pastor a great church in the North Dallas area. Uh, We are in Plano. If you went to downtown Dallas and went 22 miles straight up, you couldn't tell where Dallas, Richardson, Plano uh, begin and end, but we would be 22 miles north of downtown. Uh, I have the privilege of pastoring that church with Jenny, my lovely wife, and we've been pastors there for 37 years. We started the church, and uh, through the grace of God, it's grown uh, every year uh, for 37 years, and so that's an opportunity that we have. But I also need to let you know uh, I'm a pastor. That's what I do. That's what I've always done. I just pastor. I'm with people on their best days, and I'm with people on their worst days. I'm with people when they feel like they're on the mountaintop, and I'm with people when they feel like the mountain's on top of them. It's all I've ever done. So I say that to you because today I'm going to pastor you. That's all I know how to do. Now, I pastor with a teaching gift, and what that means is this. If you're waiting for the anointing to God to fall, this is it. If you're waiting for that moment, we're having it right now. If you're waiting for that, man, when am I just going to feel it? This is as deep as it gets when I minister. So you just need to understand that if you don't get in right now, it's not getting any better. This is it. Turn the person next to you and say, this is all he's got. 
This is it. So I pastor with a teaching gift. Father, I'm so privileged to be in this church today. I'm so proud of the leaders here. I'm so proud of Miranda and Henny and just their faithfulness to the kingdom of God. And Lord, I thank you that because of the faithfulness of leaders within this church, heaven is bigger. There are people who call heaven their home because people went out of their way to do more than go to a church. They represented your church down here. And I'm so grateful for that. Lord, I also pray today that you would help me. I'm limited. See, I don't know anyone in this room, but you know everything about everyone in this room. You know the best of them and you know the worst of them. You know the things that they tell everyone and you know the things that they tell no one. You know the things that they dream and you know the things that they dread. And because of that, you're the one who can minister. So today I pray, Father, that in a meaningful way you would unlock the combination of each heart here. And as you do that, you would take them on a journey. And it is our prayer today that when it's all said and done, you will help us to be more like Jesus than ever before because that's our passionate prayer. We want to be like Jesus. Thank you for helping us to take a step in that direction in Jesus' name. And we all agree together saying, I want to take a few moments and I want to talk to you about God's promise in the midst of the storm. God's promise in the midst of a storm. You can't read the Bible without running into the fact that the Bible is filled with bad weather days. You go back to the book of Genesis and you run into a man named Noah and all of us recognize that his whole story is going to center on 40 days of just bad weather. If you go a little bit further, you're going to run into a man named Jonah and one of the key events in his life is going to happen on a bad weather day when he's in the midst of a storm. You go a little bit further in the Bible and you run into 12 guys that Jesus had chosen. We call them disciples. We call them the apostles. But there was something about these 12 men. If you ever put them in a boat together, something bad was going to happen. It's like one of those bad carnival cruise line things you hear on TV. That was what's going to happen if those 12 guys were together. But then if you go a little bit further, you run into Acts chapter 27 and you run into a bad weather day in Paul's life. And I want us to look at that. In Acts 27 and 20, it says, and the terrible storm raged. I want you to notice that it gives a qualifier. See, the Bible doesn't say that a storm came. It says it's a terrible storm. Now, if you do what I do for a living, you understand anytime the Bible provides a qualifier, it's trying to get you there. It's trying to get you to feel, to think, and to see exactly what's going on. So this isn't that storm that comes in in the morning and it's gone in the afternoon. This isn't that storm that starts overnight and by the time you get to the morning, it's gone. This is a terrible storm. So however you equate bad weather, think of the worst weather that you can think of. That's what it's trying to say to you. This is a terrible storm. The intensity of this is pretty, pretty high on the level of how storms go. And then it says, and the terrible storm raged for many days. So this isn't one of those storms that showed up and it left. It kept going. 
And it kept going not one day, not two days. It kept going day after day, day after day, day after day. And then it utters these words. It says that the storm raged for so long and we could not see the sun or the stars. So I want you to get it. This storm is so intense. It is going on so long that they've lost all perspective. They can't see. They can't see heaven above. They can't see the horizon. All reference points are gone. But not only that, but then it utters these words. And if you do what I do for a living, you feel it. It says, it, this terrible storm raged for many days. We couldn't see the sun. We couldn't see the stars. All perspective is gone. And then it says, until all hope was gone. No, those are the words. See, I pastor. I pastor people who've lost hope. I pastor people who've lost all hope that their marriage will be any better. I pastor people who feel like my kids will never amount to anything. I pastor people who are addicted in some way and they feel like they'll never get free. I pastor people who are thinking they've lost all hope that they will ever feel any better than they feel right now. See, I know what it's like to pastor someone who's in the middle of a storm. A storm that is so intense that it goes day after day and they've lost all perspective of heaven. It doesn't mean that they don't believe in God. They do believe in God, but they've lost hope in their life. The number of people who experience the loss of hope is amazing in churches. See, in my church where they're holding services right now, there are people in it that have lost hope. They don't uh, lose their faith in God. They've lost hope that their life will be any different. Yeah, you're a good God. You're a great God. But they've lost hope. That's the storm. That's where people are. Let me put it in perspective. Let me create a bridge. I fly a whole lot, the nature of my ministry. And so in the area that I'm in, Dallas, Fort Worth, American Airlines is sort of the, the king of the pile there. So I fly on them all the time. I have, you know, over 4 million miles with them. And so I've sat in a lot of flights. Uh, but one evening, I'm literally flying back from the West Coast back to Dallas. I can remember we're up to altitude. And as we're up to altitude, where they're at their cruising altitude, I remember this was years ago before you had the iPads and the iPhones and all the technology. And so I brought a book that I was going to study. I got out of my seat, which was the aisle seat. I was reaching up. As I was reaching up, uh, I remember open the overhead and I'm about to grab the book and the brightest light that I've ever seen in my life just goes off. I mean, I'm talking about a light that is so bright that if you had your hand in front of you and it's just like this, you know your hand's there, but the light has blinded you. You can't see your hand. You can't see the form of your hand. You can't see. This is the brightest light. Simultaneously with it, I hear the loudest noise that I've ever heard. Whatever sound is that you think is loud, you multiply it by a hundred times. And so I'm looking there. You see this bright light. You hear this sound. And in the middle of that, here's what my mind was telling me. This is what it's like to be on a plane that explodes. I'd like to tell you that immediately I thought of God, but I didn't. I thought, man, I'm on a plane that has just exploded. You're seeing the lights. You're hearing the sound. That's what my mind is sitting there telling me, except the light begins to dissipate. And then the sound begins to uh, go down. And literally, you're in this plane and no one's moving, no one's making a noise. It's very similar to how you're responding to my message right now. It's totally quiet. 
And in the midst of that, you're just looking around and, and nothing's being said, but everyone's had this experience of this light, this sound, and they're sitting there and the pilot doesn't say anything. But see, at the time, I didn't know it, that whenever something happens on an airplane and the pilot doesn't talk immediately, that's good news. Because here's what the pilots are taught to do. Fly the plane first, talk second. If they're talking real quick, you're in trouble. But the less they talk, the better news you're going to get. And so literally after four minutes, everyone's sitting there stunned. The pilot comes on and he says, guys, we just experienced one of those things that happens in aviation. It doesn't happen uh, frequently, but it does happen. Our plane has just been struck by lightning. And in being struck by lightning, we've gone through all of our protocols. Uh, We know that everything's working right. We're proceeding to our destination, which was DFW. And then he literally comes on. I've never heard a pilot except one other time say this. He says, I know this was disconcerting. I know it was emotionally troubling to you guys. So I've told the flight attendant, it's open bar. The drinks are on us. And, 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 and literally he says that, but I have a problem. I'm a pastor. I don't drink. So it's just unlimited peanuts for me. But, but the guy sitting next to me who was also a pastor, because this thing just sort of rocked you. Uh, that was the night that he started drinking. Now, the thing about him is, good news, he's gone through rehab twice. We think it's taken this time. But can I tell you about that day? Nobody got up and said, God, I want to be on a plane that's been struck by lightning. I want to be on a plane where I feel like I'm having the last seconds of my life. God, I want to be on a plane where my mind is going to tell me every terrifying thing that it can possibly tell me. I want to be on it. Nobody prays to be in a storm. Can I tell you what people pray? God, let this be a great day. Let it be a day that's filled with your peace. Let it be a day that's filled with your joy. I want to experience the greatness of who you are. That's what we pray. But some days, we find ourselves in a storm. So today, I want to give you four things you need to know when you're in stormy weather. When all of a sudden, the terrible storm rages, you've lost sight of heaven and earth because you can't see the sun and the stars, and now it would be easy for you to lose hope. Principle number one, just because you're in a storm, it doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. So principle number one, just because you're in a storm, it doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. See, church gets messy for some people. And what happens is, and in church centers, we think if something bad happens in our life, then that means I did something wrong. What did I do to cause this? What did I do for this to happen? What did I do that brought this to pass? But can I tell you something? That night that our plane was struck with lightning, no one got up and said, the pilot sinned. But as soon as something happens bad and you're a Christian, you know what we say? I must have sinned. See, no one stood up and said, who on the plane sinned? But if you go to church, bad weather happens. God. I must have done something wrong. 
So Wednesday night, we still do Wednesday night services, and uh, I have been speaking, and I'm a pastor, so I'm at the back door, and uh, people are coming by, shaking hands, saying friendly things and nice things, and so you're just doing that. But I look over to my left, and, and there's a man standing over there. Now, I can tell, you know, when you've done what I do, that this guy's wanting to talk to me. He's not just wanting to shake my hands. He's not just wanting to say, hey, you know, pastor, great seeing you, good message to He's waiting. He wants to have a conversation. People are coming by. He's got his eye on me. He's waiting for that opening soon. Everyone's gotten by and he starts walking towards me. But this is a man's man. This isn't a guy who's just sort of a lighthearted individual. This is a man's man. As he gets within three steps, I look at him and I can see that tears are running down his face. As soon as he walks up to me, the first thing he says, he says, pastor, you just got to tell me. You've just got to tell me. And I'm looking at him and I'm saying, well, what in the world are we talking about? He said, pastor, you just got to tell me. And I said, slow down. He said, no, pastor, you got to tell me what I did wrong. And I look at him and I said, hey, you got to give me a little bit of background. He starts listing some things. Tears are rolling down his face. And as he begins to list some things, he said, I know for my life to be in this circumstance, I had to do something wrong. And I looked at him and I said, have you asked God? Have you just prayed the simple prayer? God, did I do anything wrong? He says, oh, I prayed it. And I said, did God tell you anything? He said, no, he didn't tell me one thing. And I said, well, you serve a great God. You know if you did something wrong and you ask him, he'd tell you, oh, but I had to do something wrong. And I looked at him. I said, but in John chapter 16 and verse 33, it says, in this world, you'll have tribulation." Well, let me help you with that. You know what that word tribulation? In this world, there'll be days when there's problems. In this world, there'll be days when there's trouble. In this world, there'll be days when there's difficulty. In this world. See, that day that my plane was struck by lightning, it wasn't because anyone sinned it, because we live in a world where there's lightning. We happened to be on a plane, and we were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and we got hit. So I look at this guy and I said, hey, you know, just tell me, have you confessed anything? He says, I've confessed everything. I've confessed everything. Uh, there's nothing I haven't confessed. I said, well, you know what it says in John, First uh, John chapter 1 and verse 9? It says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. I said, if you did do anything wrong, he's faithful and just. But then here's what our minds do. But I did something wrong and I don't know what it is. And I said, but the verse covers that. It says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He said, if you'll confess what you know, he'll cleanse you of the things you don't know. I said, you just need to understand that you're in this world. If God hasn't told you, you're going through stuff. But I was watching a man tear himself apart. But you know what I found? He's not the only one that does that. When something bad happens, we start, I did something. So the first thing is just because you're in a storm doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Second thing is sometimes when you're in a storm, you don't get any warning. You don't get any warning. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've looked at people and people will say this, my life was perfect until... My life was perfect until I got that phone call. My life was perfect until the boss called me into his office. 
My life was perfect until the doctor said the report was back. My life was perfect until the police officer showed up at our door. And I've watched people who felt like their life was perfect until. And then something happened. Something happened. If you go back and you read the proceeding of this particular story in Acts 27 and verse 13, it says that they supposed that they had their opportunity because the winds blew gently. They didn't know that when they took off, everything seemed perfect, but they're about to be in the storm of their life. Sometimes you don't get any warning. Let me build a bridge. Uh, I was flying again back to DFW. If you fly back in DFW, there's what they call the initial descent. That's when they take you from the highest altitude and they start putting you at a lower altitude where they're going to filter you in to your spot and the landing pattern. So you may be the 30th plane, the 25th plane, but they take you. So we're descending and we're from 30,000 feet and we're about at 20,000 feet and we're descending. Now, in our area, I don't know anything about your area, but in our area, uh, we are at a place where there's a dry line and there's warm, moist air coming from the Gulf. Where those two collide, there can be storms. So if you were to look on a radar that night, you would go to Waco, which was about two and a half hours south of Dallas. There's storms there. You would go to Oklahoma City, which is about two hours north of Dallas, and there's storms there. Now, in between, there's nothing. But if you get storms there and you get storms there, it's connect the dot. You know that there's a line of air where warm air is hitting moist air, there's going to be a rise and fall of air. And at that particular time, you don't know if it's going to be on the other side of Dallas, this side of Dallas, but there's a line forming between those dots. Well, the line's starting to fill in, but the uh, visual on the radar shows that we can get in without any problem. And so as he begins to descend, literally from 20,000 feet, all of a sudden, our plane falls. When I say our plane falls, you've you got to understand, it's like someone put their hand on top of my hand and just went down like this. They just went down like this. It didn't nosedive. It just fell as though there was no air under us, and it went like this. I literally look at the guy next to me, has his laptop out, and he's been uh, drinking something, and his laptop goes all the way up. His drink goes all the way up, and he was baptized. Not in the name of Jesus, but in whatever he is drinking. It came came all the way down. And I mean, you know, it's all over him. Everyone in the, in the place is just sitting there and everything that you had went up and it came down. And as you're doing this, you're, you're going through and it just feels like there's no air. You're trying to hold on to whatever you can hold on your seat, but your seat's falling. You're grabbing things thinking that that's going to hold you up, but nothing's holding you up. You've lost the aerodynamics around the plane. Your plane is being vertically pushed down and you're having vertical wind shear just push you down. And you know, everyone's just on the ride. I mean, you have no choice. You're taking this ride. And as you're taking this ride, it's going like this. And then the pilot seems to regain a little bit of the aerodynamics and you feel the plane quit falling and you feel it begin. Again, the pilot doesn't come on immediately. That's good news. If they talk immediately, you're in trouble. He comes on and he says, guys, he said, we shot the gap, the gap between the two storms. But as we shot it, the storms uh, built right around us. And what we just 
just experienced is what you call extreme turbulence. Now, I need you to remember that phrase because I'd never heard it before. The reason I was flying that flight is Cody, my son, uh, was a baseball player, played on the best baseball teams in high school and college, and then played minor league ball. I'd do anything to get back to watch him. And the next day, he had a ball game, and I was trying to get back overnight so I could be at that ball game. And I go to that ball game, and I'm sitting in the stands next to a dad who happens to be the seventh pilot that Southwest Airlines ever hired. So when it was just a small airline, he's number seven. He's flown forever and ever. I'm sitting there. He said, Gerald, how's your day going? I said, man, last night, you know, we had a rough flight. He said, oh, there's a little turbulence. I said, man, this is a little bit more than turbulence. He says, well, you know what turbulence is. It's just warm air rising and it creates bump. I said, uh, I've been through turbulence. This is not turbulence. And uh, I said, in fact, the uh, pilot said it was extreme turbulence. This guy who's a pilot was sitting there watching the game. He immediately looks at me and said, what did he say? He raises his voice like I did something wrong. And, and I said, well, he said it's extreme turbulence. He said, are you making that up? I said, I'd never heard that phrase before that night. He says, do you know what that means? I said, I don't know what it means, but I know what it feels like. And, and he says, that means when that plane lands, they have to take it out of operation. Because all of the joints on that plane were under such stress, they have to make sure that there's no fractures in them. They have to check every spot. I looked at him, I said, well, all I can tell you is last night I had to check all my spots and a couple of them, a couple of them were leaking. But, but, but here's the thing about that. We got no warning. There was none of these, hey, you know, we got a little turbulence ahead of us. We went from here to here in seconds. And see, that happens to people's lives. Their lives are perfect. How in one day can my life be like this? How can my life fall apart like this? How can everything explode on me? But see, when it comes to a storm, just because you're in a storm, it doesn't mean you did anything wrong. And you may not get any warning. But number three, storms always tell you what's really inside you. Storms are great revealers. They're x-rays of the soul. In fact, Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter uh, 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I believe it's around verse 26. He said this, and there is a man who hears my sayings, but he does not practice them. So this is the person who comes on Sunday, but he doesn't live it on Monday. He attends church but he doesn't operate like a Christian. And it says, this individual hears these sayings of mine, but does not practice them. And it says, the winds come and the rains come. The winds come and the rains come. You know what I wish it said? That winds and rain never came. I wish it said that all of our days would be perfect days. I wish it said that there'd never be bad weather days, that there'd never be storms in your life, there'd never be storms in my life, there'd never be times when you feel like your life is just decreasing in altitude. But he didn't say that. He says, the winds came, the storms came. And because he did not put into practice what was said, 
it says that his house fell because it was built on sand. But then he goes on, he says, but there's a man who hears these sayings of mine and he puts them into practice. So this person not only comes on Sunday, but lives it on Monday. And it says the winds come and the storms come. Here's what we tend to think. Well, if I'm walking with God, there won't be bad weather days. Jesus said in red letter words, he said, the winds came and the rains came. But he says, this person put them into practice. But their house stood. And their house stood because they had built it on the right things. What is he saying? He says, all storms do is show us how you built your house. See, right now, you all look good. You all look fine to me. I don't know anything about you. You look like you got it together. You look solid. But on Tuesday, when the storm comes, I'm going to find out what you got. You're going to find out what I have. You're going to find out if this is real or if this is a game. You're going to find out everything about me. I'm going to find out about you. Let me build another bridge. Uh, Jenny and I are flying out of LaGuardia. That's in New York City. In LaGuardia, they have three airports. They have LaGuardia, they have JFK over here, and they have Newark. These are all major airports. Now, if you could look down from the sky and look down, you'll see a circle pattern here for LaGuardia. You'll see a circle pattern here for Newark. You'll see a circle pattern here for JFK. They're all together. Now, one of the things, if you fly out of LaGuardia, they take off at a higher pitch because they don't want you getting caught in any of these rotations. So you're going to take off a little bit steeper angle. And so you're sitting there and they're sending you up here. They're sending you up here. They're sending you up here because these three active rotation patterns are going on. Well, we're flying from LaGuardia back to DFW, and I need you to get it. I'm here on the aisle. This is me. Jenny is here right beside me at the window. The row behind, this is Cody, my son. Right behind me is unknown lady who just happens to have seats. So I want you to get it. Me, Jenny, Cody, unknown lady. That's as close to dancing as you will ever see me do right there. So it's going to go here, me, this is Jenny, this is Cody, this is unknown lady. We get past 10,000 feet where they give you the little beep thing and everything. We're past 10,000 feet and all of a sudden our plane, you hear this noise, it goes clank, it rotates this way and then it levels up. You hear clank and it rotates this way back, but now it rotates all the way to its side. So I need you to see, if you're Cody back here, and you're on the aisle seat, typically if you want to see the ground, you go like this and you look down. Cody doesn't have to do that now. All he's got to do is look like this, because he's looking straight at the ground. The plane isn't flying like this, it's flying like this. Now, here we are. I'm here, here's Jenny, here's Cody, unknown lady. As soon as the plane goes clank, clank, there, my son goes Pentecostal. Now, you got to understand something about my son. He is a quiet soul, but all of a sudden he goes, Now, this lady sitting right next to him goes, blank, mother all blank, holy blank, 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 oh, God blank, blank, name a blank, and starts going to everything. And I'm sitting here, and Jenny's sitting here, and Cody's going, blank, 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 name a blank. Now, some of you don't know what means, but you know what blank, blank is, because that's how you talk. Uh, 
and you can interpret that. So I'm sitting here and I'm going just like this and, and then Jenny's sitting here and goes, Shundara Kahandala, blankety blank, Shundara Kahandala, blankety blank, Shundara Kahandala. And, and I'm sitting here and my son's breaking loose in Pentecost and I'm going, that's my boy. He's filled with the Holy Ghost. He got the Holy Ghost right there. That's the Spirit of God. He's praying the perfect prayer in the Spirit for whatever's going on. I don't know what this is, but he's covering it right there. That's my son. I, pro- I may have to interpret for you guys, but that's my boy right there and everything. And so this lady going, blank, 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 blank. And, and so Jenny's sitting here, and uh, Cody's, you know, mid-20s at this time. She reaches a little arm behind and, and goes back here and starts patting his knee. Oh, baby, it's going to be all right. Oh, sweetheart, it's going to be all right. We're going to make it. We're going to be all right and everything. Now, I've been married to this girl for 42 years. I'm getting nothing. <laughs> Nobody's patting my knee. There's no we're going to make it over here, man. I was in the singles ministry. But she's patting his knee going, you know, and everything. He's And this lady, blank, 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 blank. They're seated side by side, but you're seeing what's inside both of them. He's got God, and all she has is blank. Same event, same circumstance. Pilate comes on. He says, guys... Just need to tell you, one of our, we've lost one of our engines. One of the rules of flying, always fly on a plane with two engines because they can <laughs> fly with one. And so he says, you know, they leveled the plane back, said, we're going to be coming back and landing in LaGuardia. And I loved it. I thought he was so precise. He says, now, when we land, you're going to see a lot of fire engines and a, a lot of ambulances. They're just there to welcome us home. I just thought that was so well said. So, so we land, everyone's clapping and everything. We get off the plane, and I'm proud of Cody. And then I turned to Jenny. I said, sweetheart, married to you for 40 years. Getting no loving over here. And she looked at me, and she said, Gerald, it didn't even appear to bother you. That's why I was consoling Cody. And I thought to myself later on, it didn't bother me. No stress or anything. And a part of it was, when you're in a storm, you've got to know where to look. I watched the two flight attendants right ahead. The whole time this was happening, they never stopped their conversation. See, most people in a storm, what they do is they go to other people whose lives are as messed up as theirs rather than going to people who've been through the storm and survived it. So people with bad marriages hang out with people with bad marriages versus people who've made it in marriage. In a storm, you better know who to look to. Now, we land and we get around and, you know, everyone's there. The pilot says they're going to bring in a new plane. We get back on this new plane, me, Jenny, Pentecostal, Cody, uh, lady full of blank. We get up to altitude. Pilot comes on and says, I know that that last flight was disconcerting for you. I've told the flight attendants, it's open bar. <laughs> I'm a pastor, I don't drink. And, and someone will come up to me at the end and say, well, why don't you drink? 
I don't drink because in 42 years of doing this, no one's ever come up to me and said, I'm a better husband because I drink. I'm a better wife because I drink. I'm a better parent because I drink. I'm a better this. And what I know is if happy hour made people happy, there'd be a lot more happy people in this world. So I just don't drink. There's not an upside to it. But this lady, she took advantage of it. And by the time we landed in Dallas, she was still flying. And I thought to myself, all she has in her life is what she drinks into it. That's the only way she knows how to handle a bad day. So number one, when you're in a storm, it doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Number two, you may not get a whole lot of warning. Number three, they'll tell us what's going on in our life. Number four, Jesus specializes in bad weather days. In Mark chapter 4, and in verse 37 and verse 38, it says this. Jesus had been ministering. He was tired, and he told his disciples, we're going to get in the boat, and we're going to go to the other side. He got in the boat, and he went to sleep. And when he went to sleep, a storm came. Someone says, well, if Jesus was really with me, I wouldn't be in a storm. Jesus was in the boat with these guys, and they were in a storm. And then it says that the storm got real bad. Now, you've got to remember, three of these are professional fishermen. They know how to handle the storm. And the storm's getting out of hand. And then it makes this statement. It says in Mark chapter 4, And the boat was now full of water. Let me ask you a question. What happens to a boat when it's now full of water? It says the boat's now full of water. Check it in the Greek. You know what it says? The boat's now full of water. This boat is now full of water. It's now full of water. See, some of you, your biggest takeaway from this message has been this. If I ever see that guy get on a plane, I'm not getting on with him. That has been your whole takeaway. If he gets on a plane, I'm not getting on that plane, dear Jesus. I'm not. But see, you missed the whole point of the message. If you get on any plane, you want to get on my plane because here's the deal. When I get on the plane, Jesus gets on the plane with me, and it doesn't matter if we're struck by lightning. It doesn't matter if we lose an engine. It doesn't matter if there's an extreme turbulence. We're getting where we're going. See, here's what it says. This boat should be sinking and it's not because Jesus is on the boat. It's now full of water. It's now full of water, but it's not sinking. It's now full of water. What is God saying? Your marriage may now be full of water, but if Jesus is on the boat, you don't have to go under. Your kids may now be full of water, but it doesn't mean that you've got to go under because when Jesus is on your boat, he always gets you where you're going. but it brings you to a question. See, you showed up to church on Sunday. That means that you're on Jesus' boat. See, a lot of people like a a weekend cruise. They'll go out to the bay. They'll get on a boat. They'll go around the bay. But the question is not, are you on his boat today? The question is, will you let him be on your boat tomorrow? There's a lot of people who will take a weekend cruise with Jesus, but they won't let him be on the boat. Is Jesus on your boat? 
Because if he's not, when the boat's now full of water, it's going under. Is Jesus on your marriage? If he's not, when it's now full of water, you're going under. Is he in your career? If not, when it's now full of water, you're going under. You're the one who gets to decide if, it's not, if he's going to be on your boat. Can I tell you something? There's a lot of people who go to church on Sunday, and Jesus isn't on their boat on Monday. Because you've got to invite him to be on your boat. Father, in the name of Jesus.